We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. My, my daughters, Daphne and Lucy, five and two years old, um, have, have, well, they often teach Mindy, my wife, and, and me, they, they teach us things. For example, one of Daphne, uh, Lucy's favorite new movies um, is Old Leller, Old Leller. You say, Lucy, are you, are you saying Old, old Yeller? No, Daddy, it's Old Leller. And she will make you say it back to her. Cowboys and Indians. Are you saying Indians? Cowboys and Indians, Dad. Indians. Daphne this week sent me, uh, well, we recorded her doing a video teaching us how to play chest. Chest. And she has her own names for the pieces. She calls them ponies and palms, P-O-M-S, palms, and they like to jump over each other, sort of a wild mix of checkers and chess, you know. When we're little, we, we think we know, we think we know things, and it's funny when we, the people who think they know things tell the person who does really know what's going on. In John chapter 3 today, we don't read this part of the story But what we really have going on is a religious leader who thinks he knows about the big questions of life, about religion and so on, and he's coming to Jesus, and he's going to tell Jesus what he knows about religion. Old Leller, Jesus. It's Old Leller. So Jesus, in our part of John chapter 3, we come in on the second part of this conversation where Nicodemus, the man who thinks he knows, is telling Jesus, and Jesus is going to correct Nicodemus's understanding of what is happening with the Messiah coming to the earth to change the world. And Nicodemus is about to be pretty surprised, and it's surprising to us. I find us in the same position this morning as Nicodemus and also as my daughters because we've encountered in, our, in the reading, uh, in the midst of Jesus' conversation, a very familiar verse, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Did you catch it? John 3, what? 16. So, so we think we know what John 3, 16 and the rest of this passage means, but maybe Jesus has some corrections for us, some challenges to the way we think, what it means for God to so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We think we know. Here are two things we think we know about God, but he wants to correct our understanding of God, of how God came in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. Here we go. The first thing we think we know, Christianity would be so much easier God, this whole thing of following you in Jesus would make so much more sense if I could just see you. Show me yourself, God. I, I, I confess, this, earlier this week, 
not having glanced at the passage I was going to be preaching just yet, I was having a conversation with friends and unsolicited, we came upon this moment in the conversation where I confess and admitted to them that even as a priest, sometimes it would just be easier, it seems to me, if God would show himself to me in more supernatural ways. God, this would be easier if I could just see a miracle. Just show me something that's, that's outside of the norm. Show me some of your glory, I confess to my friends. We think it would be easier because seeing is believing, right? But Jesus tells Nicodemus that he will see God in God's glory in the Son of Man. It's a very different image, though, of glory. It's like this. God, I want to see something supernatural and miraculous. Show me your glory. In John's gospel, the answer is this. You have seen me. You've seen the most glorious, miraculous sign in all of history. It is God in the person of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. Now, the way that John shows this to us is very interesting. In John's gospel, scholars will tell you he goes through a list of signs, famous signs that Jesus does that reveal Jesus to be the divine son of God. You know these signs. Remember um, changing the water into wine at Cana, right? Healing the royal official son in Capernaum. Healing the paralytic, Bethesda. Feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing the blind man from birth. And then the sign that gets Jesus in the most trouble with authorities that expedites his move to Jerusalem and then gets him hanging on the cross in John's gospel is what appears to be the greatest sign, the raising of a man named Lazarus from the dead. Remember that? This is what really gets the authorities on Jesus's case. But I sort of told you a story because there are not seven signs in John's gospel. Really, there's, there's eight. John saves the greatest sign of them all for the second part of his gospel. Signs one through seven, revealing who Jesus is, takes us through chapter 11. But we still have chapters 12 through 21 to go. And in that part of John's gospel... The sign that Jesus does to show the whole world the glory, the majesty, the power, the love, the kindness, the holiness of God is this. This is Jesus' greatest sign, the eighth sign. God himself in the person of Jesus suffering for the sin of the world. We think Christianity would be so much easier. It would make sense. God, will you just let us see you? John's gospel says to us, as Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, you will see the son of man lifted up. We think lifted up means glory. 
part of the glory is Jesus hanging on the cross. One of the way that Christians have talked about heaven, incidentally, is heaven is seeing God. Heaven is a face-to-face encounter with God. It's called in Christian theology the beatific vision. It's this glorious idea that the lens of our eyes are like scrubbed clean of sin and that finally we can see God in all of his fullness. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what? See God, Matthew says. For in 1 John 3, one of the epistles Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. The beatific vision. Face-to-face encounter with God for all eternity. And John says it begins with this image. It begins with this image. A man suffering on a cross. I can imagine you say, Josh, come on, this is, how is this good news, right? What is this image of God? How does this do us any good? How is it uplifting? How is it helpful? Well, of course, John compares this image of Jesus to the healing of Israelites in Moses' day, right? That's what the Old Testament reading was about. Through their seeing the snake on the pole, They were healed. We'll talk about seeing Jesus as a means of salvation and healing in a moment, but for now, I want to mention a special way that I think seeing Jesus in this light, seeing God in this light, helps heal the sin of the world. Many of you know, this past December, uh, my father passed away. It was the day after Christmas. And uh, I went up to Tennessee to be with him and the week before that, and he was in the hospital, and he was in a lot of pain, and he was struggling to breathe, and it was, it was awful. It was awful. Uh, because of COVID, we were only allowed a couple family members. They actually broke the rules for us to let two of our family members be in the room at the same time with my dad, who we knew at some point during the week, we knew that th- it was his time. Two or three days before he did pass, he was in the hospital bed and he was struggling to breathe a lot not talking very much, not eating very much. Every breath he was working for. It was a surreal moment, of course, to see your mom or dad like that is surreal. We had kind of, my sister and I were there that day and we had, we had kind of chuckled because Josh, the, the priest, I brought like all my priest gear with me up to the room. You know, my, my crucifix, my prayer beads, my prayer book, my Bible, you know, all the priest gear. Is anything to, I don't know, what, what do you do in a moment like that? Um, so I'm praying through my prayer beads for dad, for us. Just like, God, please do something. Please do something. And in one of the moments, you know, with teary, blurry eyes, I look down at the prayer beads. On the end of the prayer beads, 
is this image. You know how prayer beads often have a crucifix at the end. And I realized in a fresh way that I was not staring at one suffering individual in front of me, but two. And that this is the way, this is the way on the cross that God wanted me and my sister and all the world to see him. It doesn't take away the pain of my dad's death and all of our suffering, but in some way, this is God's glory. It begins on a cross. Yes, it ends by him being lifted all the way up to heaven in the ascension, but it begins right here. I don't know if I can say this, but perhaps it makes some sense of our suffering. My dad was not alone. I am not alone. You are not alone in your suffering, friends. God loved the world in this way that he gave and scholars would tell you the gave in John 3.16 is gave up to death, gave up to the cross, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have life and life abundantly. It's the first thing we think we know. We think we know, but God says it's different. You want to see me, you have seen me in the most glorious display ever presented to humanity. Here's the second thing. We think we know what the words eternal life and judgment are about. We think that life is sort of a matter of, um, we're tempted to think that life is a matter of sort of living as we want to in a kind of a waiting room type environment because the reward or the punishment, heaven or judgment, eternal life or eternal death is coming at the end, right? So yes, it's, it's, it's good to do, you know, it's good to follow Jesus now, but, but the default is sort of, we're all kind of in a waiting room together. We're going to be punished. We're going to be rewarded in the end. In John's gospel, and we get hints of it right here in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, the reward and the punishment actually begins now. The judgment is happening in the present. The eternal life is not so much life that never ends, it's abundant life, and it starts now. Eternity, eternity, friends, has already begun. That's that's life and condemnation in John's gospel. Let me give you a little a taste of it from this passage. Look at verse 15 and following. See that John's, in Jesus' words, talking about life as the reality of seeing the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. Okay, life, life has begun. Eternal life has begun. You see Jesus, you behold Jesus, you believe Jesus is who he says he is, God in the flesh hanging on the cross, then eternal life has already begun for you. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and then uh, it also involves doing and living the truth, verse 21. It involves having the darkness in you exposed by the image of Jesus, the light of the world hanging on the cross. All of that's happening right now. You're not waiting for eternal life. Eternal life has come to you in this very image. That's life in John's gospel. About judgment, 
Notice our passage, verse 16. And let this be a corrective for all of us, right? We forget this verse. God didn't send Jesus to, what does it say there in the passage? Verse 16. I did not send, I did not come to, Jesus wasn't sent to what? To judge, to condemn. This is the judgment. Look at verse 19. Direct quote now. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. Judgment, therefore, is in a sense, we could say in this passage, there are other passages that speak very clearly that judgment is just a byproduct of Jesus coming into the world and exposing the darkness. But in this passage, our definition of judgment sounds like this. It's refusing us, us refusing to see and believe that God has sent Jesus not to judge us. Did you get that? Judgment is refusing to see and believe that God has sent Jesus not to judge you, but to die for you. John almost makes it sound here like judgment is something we do ourselves by not participating in God's rescue plan. Fascinating. So eternal life and judgment are not primarily about lining up outside of heaven, waiting to enter God's courtroom so that he can deliver our final sentence. They are present realities and they are based on what we do with this image right here. See and believe and let eternal life begin for you today. Let me close by illustrating this point. I hope this makes sense. Not every detail will align with the analogy uh, as an analogy, but here goes. In high school, I received in my uh, school mailbox a very official letter from the dean's office requesting my attendance at a disciplinary meeting. Now, I thought for sure this was a mistake, okay? This kind of meeting, it, it was the kind of meeting that comes after multiple bad things have happened, and you, like, and then you end up in the dean's office. That's the meeting I was being invited to. This was a meeting for the veteran bad kids at school, right? Just veterans, like hardened criminals in high school. This is, it was most certainly not a meeting that a goody two-shoes first-time offender like little old me would need to attend. Besides, it, and I kid you not, I had no idea what, why I was being called to a disciplinary meeting in the dean's office. So that afternoon, I, I waited after school. It was basically a waiting room, a holding room for punishment with all the other bad kids around me, just to give you a taste of it. You know, some, some I was at an all boys school. Some guys brought snacks, like one guy brought a, a vodka and a Sprite bottle. Um, one person was so used to being in this place that he, uh, he was sleeping, taking a nap before his, his big day, his big moment with the dean, I guess. I was shaking in my boots and eventually I was led like a sheep to the slaughter down the hallway into the dean's office, surrounded by the school administrators um, in, the, in, in a semicircle. P.S., I'm just remembering, I don't think I've ever shared this story with my mom who's probably watching online right now, so. 
my grandmother was picking me up from school that day and I just asked her to come a couple hours later. Um, I was so afraid. So I, I, I get in the room, the deans are all in a semicircle in front of me and they ask me, do you know, do you know what you've done? No, I, I have no idea. And so they explained that a couple of months ago, eight weeks ago, I had received a series of notices about tardies and detentions that needed to be fulfilled to make up for those tardies, but that I had never shown up for my detentions. Actually, we had to, were made to walk laps around the track. You didn't do any of your laps around the track. We've, had, we've got multiple weeks now that this has happened. And your lack of response, now that's the issue. It's not the tardy and, and detention. That day is past, son. Now the problem is you neglected to look at the sign that we put on the announcement board that shows you what you have coming, what you've got to deal with right now. It's on the announcement board. You walk past it every day. So not to get too specific or put too fine a point on the analogy, but the most damning fact of that meeting for me was that the school had posted placarded, exposed, revealed my tardy notices for my benefit on the announcement board for weeks. I had not seen it. I had not looked at it. I had been walking past my salvation every day. If only I had seen the notices and responded accordingly, I would have been saved from my death in the dean's study, right? The good news of the gospel is that if you look up on the announcement board today, not only are you saved from the dean's study, okay, but also, also, instead of you serving the detentions and walking the laps for your tardies, this man, this man is paying your price. It's done. It's over. It's completed. It is finished. Look up and see. Look up and behold the antidote to sin, death, and the grave. John's invitation to us today is exactly the same as Jesus' invitation to Nicodemus. Look and live. Jesus on the cross, in front of your eyes, even now, let the darkness in you be exposed and healed so that abundant eternal life can begin this very moment. Let us pray. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim till all the world adore his sacred name. Amen.